0: Co-mission is the title of this morning's message. And as we've gone through this series, we've talked about the very first message was paid in full. How everything that you're getting paid for in Jesus Company and the New Venture Kingdom Incorporated has already been paid for. It's been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have this great assurance in who he is. We don't have insurance as believers. We have assurance as believers that Jesus Christ has already paid it in full. We've talked about your job description, that you are a, a, a co-partner or co-heir in Christ Jesus. We've talked about living in the community and our job there, about how we are supposed to dispel the lies of who God really is in the in the area around us. We talked about co-laboring last week, where we work from a place of partnership, and we work from a place of rest. We don't try to work to achieve something, we receive everything from the kingdom, and we reflect it here in this earth. And so today we're going to wrap this up with co-mission as we jump into this. And so I want to ask you these three questions, um, what past skills, experiences, or qualities do, th- qualify you to work? for Jesus company God has put gifts on the inside of you he's put character traits on the inside of you he's put callings on the inside of you that he's calling you to use for kingdom purposes you may be saying pastor I, I, I can't do anything spiritual can I tell you if you can bake pies better than anyone else in your family baking pies becomes really spiritual really quick amen because the best way to reach somebody is through their stomach I promise you this There's a reason Jesus said, if you see somebody hungry, feed them, because that's the open door to the gospel that you can bring to them. Amen. Amen. I promise anybody in this room, you bring me an amazing pie that you make better than anybody else, I'll listen to you for five minutes. I'll be smelling the pie the whole time. I may not comprehend it all because of the aroma, amen, going up before the Father. We'll call it our praise. Amen. But I promise it's your opportunity. So baking pies becomes spiritual really quick if you'll make it an intentional reason that you're doing it or you're baking it or whatever you're doing with it. So what skills or experiences do you have that qualify you to work at Jesus Company? Also, who are your big three? Who are your three references that'll hold you accountable to walk out the gifts and callings of God on your life? You should have three people that you're looking at to bring into your life that you'll be able to say, hey, listen, I wanna do this, I'm called to do this, but I'm scared to do this, so you're gonna be my muscle. You're going to be the three that back me and push me forward. You're my references on my application. You're going to be the ones that hold me accountable. So when the Father calls on you to come and and make sure I'm doing it, you'll be there. You'll answer the call and you'll lift me up. You'll encourage me and you'll hold me accountable. Who are your big three in your life? And finally, The worship service that you're currently attending, if it were your first day on the job, would you be fired by the time I get up to preach the message by the way you approached this morning's worship service? These are all rhetorical questions I want you to answer within yourself so you have priority and you have intentionality when you come to the presence of the Father. And so now that we know this, that we're in the kingdom of God and he's hired you, Jesus said you're my partner. He didn't sign up for a 50-50 partnership. Jesus did not sign up for you to give 50% and him to give 50%. The truth of the matter is he already gave 100% on the cross of Calvary. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And it transformed you eternally. Why should he give 50% of us, 25% of us when he gave us 100% not of just himself but of everything that the kingdom of God has to offer. Amen. Yeah, so God wants 100% of you. He wants all of you. It starts with your heart, but it doesn't stop with your heart. Amen. Amen. It overwhelms every part of your body, your mind, your will, your emotions, your physical body. Every part of you belongs to him. He wants 100% of you, all of you, and he loves you just the way you are. I always laugh at this scenario. I I like to do a crazy workout program called CrossFit, and it's fun for me. Some of y'all don't like it. That's fine. But what I realize is this. Whenever I invite somebody to come, they always give me this response. Well, I need to start working out and get in shape before I can get there. Amen. Right. The truth of the matter is, we love you just the way you are. Just step in and go and do what you can do. See, so many people have that same mindset. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to start living right. I've got to start acting better before I can come to church. No, you come to church to be encouraged to live differently, to change your life, to move forward with such a great cloud of witnesses around you that you don't got to do it by yourself. See, a lot of you try and clean your life up. You try to get in shape and go to the gym by yourself and you wonder why you always fail. It's because there's nobody to hold you accountable. You don't have a great cloud of witnesses. You don't have your three in the physical realm. So I can pretty much guarantee you probably don't have your three in the spiritual realm. And so if you want to do something, step in and start doing it. Let the others hold you accountable along the way. Don't try and make yourself great at it before you step in and try it. I want you to jump in there. Give it all you got and watch what God can do in your life. And so we know we're partners, we know we're co-heirs, we know we live in a community, and we know we're co-laborers. But I want to briefly show you what your laboring has done As a couple weeks ago, I came back home from Vietnam, I wanna give you an update about what you guys did with your co-laboring right here that affected the commission of the Great Commission of what God called to do, called you to do, and me to do as we went around the world and as we ignited nations. Most people, when they read the Great Commission, they look at it and say, that looks like mission impossible. How do we possibly do all that? But I'm gonna tell you, mission impossible became mission possible for the lives that you touched and the souls that you saved. Amen? That's what happens when we come together as the body of Christ to see something amazing happen around the world. And the amazing thing about those numbers was the very first page, I love it, it was 500 leaders. Every one of these people that attended any of these conferences that we were at are leaders over a minimum of about 100 people. And so this 500 leaders that we have is a minimum leader over of 100 people. Some have two or three churches of this. And so the numbers go exponentially when you influence the one who has influence over were the most. And so those 28 salvations were so amazing because we figured everybody coming to these meetings were already believers, that they already knew Jesus Christ that they're leaders among some kind of category or organization that they're over. But we never miss the opportunity to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it truly is to make Jesus Christ Lord of their life. And when they did that, 28 people got born again over those past couple weeks. And so angels in heaven are celebrating. We're celebrating because we're co-laboring in the Lord Jesus Christ, accomplishing the commission that Jesus Christ has given us to accomplish. Amen? Amen. Give God one more good hand clap of praise this morning. Now we are on a commission. Co and mission. What is commission the first response that many people think of in the church when I say the word commission you think of Matthew chapter 28 and rightly so you should it's been ingrained in our psyche since we were little children that you get born again and you're supposed to go you get born and you're and you're supposed to go you get born again and you're supposed to go and we read this and Jesus said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and Behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I would argue and say that Jesus is what we've labeled the great commission is the great vision of the church universal to rally around, which if you try to do it alone, it seems like mission impossible because many of you have this mindset. I know what Jesus said. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. But who am I? What can I do? There are 15 million people in the city of Ho Chi Minh, and that's that city alone. Traffic is horrendous. What can I do to make a profound difference in that city of that size? Can I tell you, I think we've mixed up what we have labeled the Great Commission with what Jesus has said is his overall church great vision. And so we must change our thinking just a little bit. So when I say the word commission, what is commission? Commission is this. It's two or more parties coming together, each 100% invested to accomplish the same mission. It's two or more parties coming together, each 100% invested to accomplish the same mission. When I say, do you accept the great co-mission, it means, yes, I accept that I'm going to partner with Jesus Christ and I'm going to do my part to accomplish his great vision, what we've labeled the great commission. See, there's a difference of what I'm talking about, co-mission, where two people come together to accomplish the same mission, and what we as the church have labeled the great commission, which is the commission of Jesus Christ and his full vision of what he wants the church universal to accomplish, amen? And so in your life, I want you to embrace co-mission, maybe, for the first time. But a lot of us on the great commission that we're on, we ended up making it this, the great miss of the mission and not the great co-mission. It becomes the great miss, not the great mission. Yeah. It becomes the great falling short of, not the great accomplishment of. And many of us, we end up having the great miss is because when we read the Bible and Jesus says, go into all the nations, we interpret that as leave. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. He said go, so we say, all right, I guess I got to get up here and leave. And that's not what he was saying. When he said go, we interpreted it as leave. And for some reason we hear the word commission and we throw the last five messages out the window and we abandon everything we've been taught about partnering, about community, about laboring and we leave it all and we run out there and we're like, I'm going. But we we go, we're not supposed to leave it all. We're supposed to go with it all. And a lot of us, we just go. And we go and we've left it all here, everything we've learned, it's kind of like we leave with reckless abandon. It's like, yes, I heard the word go. I heard the word commission. I'm going. Jesus, I'll see you later. I'll catch you on the other side of the vision. What happened to co-laboring? I'm still seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. I got to do it from this position of power. I can't achieve things in the kingdom. I can only receive and reflect things of the kingdom. Amen? But we leave his presence instead of going with his presence. Yeah. We leave without any of the armor of God and we wonder why we're getting beat up, bruised, beaten down, and we're quitting two and a half weeks into the mission. Come on. Come on. And he never called you to quit. <laughs> but it just seems too hard. It just seems too tough. The battle seems too big. The arrows are flying at me a million miles an hour and they're just flaming arrows, Pastor. It's like I stepped out in faith and all the hell comes against me. You're exactly right. Yeah. That's why you do it from a position of partnership. We're not trying to achieve victory. We're fighting from victory. Amen. We're not trying to get there. We are there. But we've left it all at the altar because we felt the presence of God. And we left it all. We ran out there. And we're out there all alone. What happened to your big three? They're going to hold you accountable. And we're all alone. And we struggle for a while. And we fight for a while. And then eventually, we quit. It's kind of like you see in the movies sometimes. this Kid's been practicing football all through 2 days all through summer camps, all through everything. He's been sweating. He's been pouring off the sweat. He's been putting on the pounds. He's been in the gym. He's been doing the work. He's been fighting the good fight all through practice. He's been on the bench waiting for his number to get called. And finally, when the game is surely in hand and victory is sure, the coach calls his number. And he says, Billy, it's your turn. And Billy jumps up, excited, and he runs on the field. And the coach says, Billy, aren't you forgetting something? Here's your helmet. And the boy comes back and says, oh, yeah, coach, it's pretty important. Many of us have this same experience in ministry. God's called us to do something. You accepted the call, you embraced the call, and you loved the call, but the problem is you read go, and when you read go, you thought it meant leave it all, and it wasn't leave it all, it was go with it all. Yeah. It was get somewhere with it all. That's good. And we're like the child who finally got his moment on the field, and listen, we are this people. We have our moment in history. We have our moment in all of eternity that we get to step into the the biblical history timeline and make our mark on the gospel message in the year 2017. It's our time in all of history because the victory is already secure. Jesus Christ has already won it. He did it at the cross of Calvary. We're just waiting for the consummation of it all and we get to be a part of the consummation of it. But this is our only time in all of history. We get to go out. So if we're gonna go out, let's not go out with just a blaze of glory. Let's go out right with the power of God, yeah. fully equipped to accomplish the mission. So when, when we come back, yeah. not if we come back, when we come back, yeah. we walk into the presence of the Father. And he said, all oh, your practice has paid off and you've proven it well. I don't want to be the church that runs out there at our first opportunity without the helmet on. And the Father says, come back. You need something. It's called basic training. The one thing every kid loves when he signs up for football is, I want to get the helmet. And it's the one thing you forgot when you went out on the field. Church, when we read the word go, it's not go and leave it all. It is go with it all and everything that God has put into your life to accomplish. If we don't go with it all, the great mission becomes the great miss. And the word sin means this, to miss the mark. It doesn't mean good, bad, right, or wrong. The word sin means this, it means to miss the mark. Such as when an archer shoots a bow and arrow and releases the arrow and it doesn't hit his target, that's where we get the word sin from. It means to miss the mark. And I don't want to be a part of the great miss, which equates to the great sin. It's not that you did it intentionally, but deep down, you actually knew better when you left. You knew to get your helmet. I just wasn't thinking in the moment. (laughs) We're better. We're better. I believe more in the church of Jesus Christ than this. We're better. We can do better. We can be better. We are better. We live up to our potential. We do not fall short. We do not miss the mark. We do not hold back. We accomplish the call of God for our life. We're better. Amen. We're better and we're not stopping. We're better. And I'm not telling you to be better. You already are better. Living up to your potential is something you got to muster up deep down with inside you. When you're on that last hundred meters and you're sprinting down the track, you can either lollygag and just jog across the line, or you can give it all you got and finish strong. I need to know what we're going to do. I believe the second half of this year, we're going to press in and we're going to finish strong, not because we're trying to be better. We are better because where we're seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Amen. We are better. You're better. And I believe in you. I see great potential in every one of you. And that's why the great miss will not happen. But the great mission will occur. The mission that we're on. Have you ever been on a mission? A lot of us in the moment, you're thinking, no. I've never been on a mission. Pastor, I've never been on a mission. I've never been in the military. They've not sent me on a mission. I've never been on a mission trip that has a specific focus. I've never been on a mission. I want to say you have been on a mission I know you've been on a mission because remember the last time you could not find your cell phone (laughs) baby you were on a mission remember the last time you couldn't find the keys to your car you were on a mission I like the cell phone one better but remember the last time ladies you couldn't find your purse or your wallet men you went on a mission What do I mean by that? The last time you couldn't find your cell phone, the last time you couldn't find this, it was gone. It was out of your sight. It was somewhere where you couldn't see it. You went on a mission. We're going out of the house. We got to get to church by 830. First service is about to start. Where's my phone? I got a seven-year-old and a six-year-old. If you don't keep track of that, it's gone. (laughs) I'm telling you. And it never fails. You always misplace it at the most inopportune time. (laughs) Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I've been there. I've been there too many times in my life. And listen, I know you've been on a mission because everything stops. Everything stops. First, you're calm and collective. Hey, where's my phone, honey? I don't know, babe. Do the kids have it? I don't know, but I really need to go. Could you help me look for my phone? See, now you've incorporated somebody else into the mission. See, you already know the recruiting process. You know it. And then finally, after you and your spouse look for the phone for a little bit, you start getting a little panicked. You're about two and a half minutes in, right? <laughs> I mean, it seems like a year. You've been looking for this phone for a, a year, and you're only about two and a half minutes in. And then you start, the blood pressure starts rising, right? And the anxiety sets in, oh my God, where's my phone? I wonder if I left it in the car. I wonder if it fell out the door when I got out. I wonder if I left it at the last place I was at. And your mind goes into overdrive. See, your mind can work at a very fast pace if you let it. But you got to be on a mission for it to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, you get onto the kids. Caleb and Aaron, where are you at? <laughs> this is strictly hypothetical, okay? Yeah. Strictly hypothetical. <laughs> where are you at? They run in there from playing the Xbox. Well, what you want, Dad? Where's my phone? I don't know. You told us not to touch it. <laughs> exactly, and it's missing, so somebody touched it right and so for the next five minutes which seems like an eternity you're on a mission you know you've been on a mission okay i'll just tell a story of myself since i already have (laughs) i was driving home from work the other day and i get about halfway home and i'm like where's my phone because i couldn't feel it in my pocket usually it's in my back pocket so i'm sitting on it so you know you know you can feel it's like it's not there and I had a bunch of groceries in the front seat over here and so I was driving. And I was like I can't find my phone So I ended up driving about another mile just kind of thinking where it would be and it's like it wasn't in my backpack or anything like that And so the anxiety started building, right? It's like, where's my phone? Sherry's gonna kill me if I lose my brand new phone, right? That's what I'm really thinking in reality here. No, it's like where's my phone? And so eventually, I'm going over the League Street, Arbela Road overpass, and I get to the bottom of the overpass, and I finally just pull over because i got to find this phone. Right? I stopped my life. I pulled over on the side of the road to look for a phone. A neighbor drives by. Pastor Joel, are you okay? Can I help you? No, I'm just looking for my phone. True story. See, other people are stopping to make sure you're okay on the mission. And everybody can relate because everybody's lost the phone. And so finally I start picking up the bags of groceries and it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Really, this is our Western culture. Thank you, Jesus. I found my cell phone. (laughs) Right? Maybe priorities are a little bit off. But you understand the point of a mission. You've been on a mission before. You've been on a mission at some point in your life, and you know and you understand what the mission is all about. You know and you understand what takes place on the mission as you go. In the moment, you are seeking to find what is lost. On that moment, in that mission, you are geared for one purpose I will find what is lost. I'm going to find what's lost. So in this, so we understand the term mission, now the question is priority. You know what mission is. And if we're on the great mission and you know what the term mission is, now it's just a part of what part of this mission and what takes in your life, what priority is this mission going to take place? Jesus came and says, I have come for one purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. Another phrase says he came for two reasons. I came to seek and to save this which was lost. The other one says, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. So he came with a twofold mission. Seeking and saving the lost, destroying the works of the devil. So out, throughout his whole life, after he preached the Sermon on the Mount, he went about doing two things. Seeking and saving that which was lost. And he went about destroying the works of the devil. Yeah. There was one mission. There was no question about it because you see it in his lifestyle. You see what he had accomplished. See, the problem that the great mission becomes the great miss is because we're always on some sort of mission. It's just, what is the mission entailing? Because seeking and saving that which was lost in our life is somewhere down here. Because, Pastor, everybody has a church, everybody goes to church somewhere. This is a seven year old stat. One out of every four houses will get up and go to church somewhere this morning. One out of every four. 25% of our nation that says 78% of us are born-again believers, evangelical, on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. One out of every four, 25% of us, will get up and go to church somewhere. I must beg to differ that we're evangelical, on-fire believers at 78%, if only 25% of us seven years ago are in church. And I couldn't find a more recent stat than that this week, so I just went back to my old one. So the question in every believer's life is what priority does the true mission actually take in your life? See, it's no question about what priority this took in my life on, I guess it was, Thursday or Tuesday afternoon this week, I pulled my vehicle over on the side of the road to look for what was lost. But on that same day, I drove by a person walking to work, and I did not pull over to seek what was lost. See, it's not a question of what the mission is, the question is what's the priority of the mission? This had a lot higher priority at one moment in my life than actually a human being. And I'm telling you this because if I fail in the mission, I know some of y'all's same struggles that you're missing the mark sometimes too, and we are better than this. We are better. We're not trying to get better. We are better. The same power that raised Christ from the grave lives and dwells in Joel. Therefore, I am better than that. I just got to submit to the mission. And the call of God on my life at a higher level and make it more of a priority in every area of my life. The next six months of this year, I want you to make this a priority in your life. Be on a mission, not the great miss. And so if we're in this, on this great mission, what does this entail? What does my world actually look like? Sometimes we're so overwhelmed with the ending or the overall bigness of the vision that Jesus has given us, we don't even know where to begin. Correct? I mean, we read this verse in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. Awesome! Where do I start? Where do we start? I mean, all nations is a big thing. All nations is a massive concept. All nations... Of the earth, there's over 180 nations in the earth. Make disciples of all nations? Well, let's qualify where we actually need to start. Many of us confuse the great vision, the great commission, that is for the overall body of Christ, which is going to save the world with my world. Listen to this. My mission plus my world equals my commission. My mission plus my world equals my commission. I don't believe when Jesus wrote this scripture, he was making it a mandate for Joel T. Meyer alone, all by himself, to go to every nation of the world and make disciples of every nation of the world all by myself. Now, we should have a part in that. And we've done a great job. This year we've done Russia, we're about to do Costa Rica, we've done Bhutan, we've done India, we've done Vietnam, we've done some work in the Middle East this year. We've done all kinds of stuff. And we're doing our part of all the nations of the world. But for every individual believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to ask yourself these three questions. What is my mission? What is my world? And that equals, what is my great commission? What is my great co-mission? And I'm going to tell you what this is. What is your mission? Your mission is comprised of you know what your focus is in life. I am called to seek and to save that which was lost. And however we go about doing that, I'm okay with, but the priority needs to be human beings coming in touch with the Father. It's like the first message of our DNA series, Authentic Relationships. We want to create an environment for people to divinely connect so they can reach out and connect. Everything about our mission needs to be priority on people coming in contact with an authentic relationship with the Father. That's our mission. Seeking and saving the lost. That's our mission. We're going to look for those in our community who are harassed and helpless and are like sheep without a shepherd according to what we've read in Matthew chapter, uh, the opening scriptures throughout all this series. That's our mission. But what is my world? What is my world? What is Joel's world? Everybody's world consists of three things. Now, your world is different than my world because your world consists of basically, by and large, these three things your family your workplace and your hobby your family if you have people in your family that don't go to church on a regular basis welcome to the mission field and I'm talking, they may have accepted Christ back when they were 12 or 13 and got baptized at VBS or kids camp or youth camp or something like that. Praise God. I'm glad they're born again. I'm glad they say they know Jesus. But if they're unchurched and do not go to church anywhere, because remember, seven years ago, only 25% of our population was walking out of the church and going to church on Sunday morning. So if there's somebody in your family who does not go to church on a consistent basis, and today's terminology is two Sunday mornings a month, which is horribly inconsistent, if you showed up for work 50% of the time, I think you would be fired immediately. But for some reason, it's okay in the body of Christ. Let's change that stat a little bit, amen? If you know somebody who doesn't go to church, and or goes to church less than two Sundays a month, you may as well consider them unchurched, and they're part of your mission. So look at your family, your extended family. Not just the immediate ones in your household. If you got older brothers or younger sisters, da-da-da-da. Look at your family—parents, in-laws, amen. Everybody else—who's in your family? Nephews, nieces. I promise, almost everybody in this room—I can do it. I know part of my family that does not come to church on a regular basis, and I'm and, and I'm happy when they show up on Christmas and Easter. Can I tell you my mission should be very clear? First off, it's my mission. My world is my family. And so in your life, who, is your, who in your family needs to prioritize or move up into your world enough that you're willing to say, I need you to start coming to church with me? And if they say, why do I need to go to church? Because your soul is too valuable to watch it wither and rot away and you not fulfill your full potential in God. Why are you playing? Well, it's a good place. We love to worship. It's really friendly. Cut all that stuff out. (laughs) Come on. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Cut it all out. No, because your soul is too valuable and precious for me to sit here week after week and watch it rot and wither away and you not fulfill your full potential in Christ Jesus. I need you to start coming to church with me because we got a mission to fulfill. Tell them why they're so important. Tell them why they're so valuable. Tell them why. Yeah. Quit trying to fluff it up with church talk. Right. Amen. Forget church talk. Forget Christian ease. Sometimes you talk so spiritual, no wonder they don't want to come. Be real. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, God. <laughs> Number two, your workplace. First of all, I know I touched a nerve with family. Some of y'all are like, I don't even like my family. Well, if you get them <laughs> born again, you may love them. And if you would start loving them, maybe you'll start liking them. Okay, So so I'm going to get off family because I can stay on family for a long time. Your family needs to know Jesus. That's the first part of your world. Then where do you spend most of the time during your week? It's your workplace. It's your workplace. Who at your workplace does not come to church consistently? See, I'm happy where I work. All my people come to church pretty (laughs) regularly. Amen. Thank you, God. If, we, if they didn't, we'd have a real problem. <laughs> At your workplace, your place of employment, who doesn't come to church on a regular basis? Who doesn't go to church anywhere on a regular basis? You know how people come to TWBC more than anything else? It's not the billboards. It's not Facebook. It's not, it's not because we send out podcasts. It's not through the website. On 75% of the information cards that we get back, how did you hear about TWBC? A family member or a close friend that's like family invited them. of the feedback that we get in this church says I came because a friend or a family member invited me personally to come. Who's in your workplace that does not go to church? That does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ? They may have been born again, but they're not actively walking it out. Welcome to your mission. Your mission plus your world equals your co-mission. What you're called to do not the great commission. That's Jesus's overall vision for the church universal to accomplish as the consummation of all things happen and it will occur, but it's going to occur by me in my world finding my mission, which is my family, my co-workers, and then at my hobby. What is your hobby? I'll tell you what your hobby is. Some of you are like, I don't have a hobby. I got kids that play ball. Then your kids are your hobby and that ball is your hobby. Because if you hated it as much as you say you hate it, you wouldn't let them do it. (laughs) Do I need to exit now so I don't get stoned? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. No, the fact is I love it when my boys play soccer. I absolutely love coaching them on the soccer team. I actually love it when me and Coach Slade get together on Thursday and we got to repent on Sunday for how we acted at the game on Saturday. I love it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Slade, will have a moment at the altar here in a minute. Amen. It's okay for that to be your hobby. And there's nothing wrong with sports. The question the church needs to ask themselves is if your church members feel more comfortable with their ball team and more at home with their ball team than they do in your church, something's wrong with your church, not the ball team. The church needs to self-evaluate. Instead of blaming all our failures on everything else out there. Well, technology this and YouTube that and our kids are on this and our kids are on that. and <laughs> Wake up. Self-evaluate. And say, what do I need to change? Because the world's obviously changing and doing a better job at reaching my kids than I am. So if your hobby is through your kids, I'm great with that. But who at your hobby does not know Jesus Christ that you need to start inviting to church? Who it's your hobby, whatever you like to do, if it's me, you like to go to CrossFit, does not go to church there that you need to invite from the gym to come to church. Who it's your hobby, whatever it may be, your kid's baseball team, your kid's soccer team, do you need to invite? Maybe you're on the golf course 24-7 and you finally walk up to the guy behind the register and say, you know, I come and play golf here every single Friday at this certain time. Would you like to come to church with me this Sunday? What's your hobby? And if you pick out my family, my work, and my hobby, that encompasses about 90% of your life. And I'm good with 90% right now. We'll get the other 10% once we get the first 90 corrected. (laughs) Who is in your family that you need to reach? Who is in your workplace that you need to reach? Who is in your hobby that knew you need to reach? Because that is your world. Put yourself into this scripture. And guys, I usually say put this on the screen. I'm going to ask you to hold this scripture off the screen while I read. Because I want them to fully imagine themselves in this scripture. But eagerly desiring to justify himself, a man said to Jesus, And who is my world? He actually said, who is my neighbor? But he's asking the same question, and who is my world? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of some robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, departed from him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, now a priest in that day was somebody highly intelligent, almost like a rabbi, just like Jesus was by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by him on the other side and left him. And so likewise, a Levite, they were in the priesthood as well. When he came to the place and saw him, he stepped aside and passed him by on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, and a Samaritan is this, that was the rejects of society in that day. They were half-breeds, they were half-Jew and half-another-race, and they were rejected by the Jews, and they were rejected by the other races. They became a race of themselves because nobody else accepted them. They were the national rejects. Nobody associated with Samaritans. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. What did we just read in Matthew chapter 9? He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. A Samaritan rejected by the Jews, rejected by everybody else. As he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him because he entered his world and bound up his wounds and pouring oil and wine on him. Then he set him on his own animal. He put him in his own four-door car that you always ride alone in. He put him in his own pickup truck and brought him to a hotel where there was a doctor and asked the doctor to take care of him. And the next day, he took out of his own money and gave it to the hotel manager and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three? The priest, the Levite, or the rejected Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor or on a commission to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man answered, who was literally a Pharisee, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus commissioned them in Luke 10, verse 37 at that point. He said, go and do mercy. Likewise. I want everybody to pull out a TWBC offering envelope out of the seat in front of you. Everybody pull out an offering envelope out of the seat in front of you. If you're on the front row, grab behind you. Help a brother out. Hand an envelope over the front. And what I want you to do is I want you to flip it over and look on the back. Right now it's blank. Should be nothing on it. And as you look at the back of this envelope, remember my mission plus my world equals my co-mission. Your world is your family, your workplace, and your hobby. On the first two, your family and your workplace, I'll let you think on your hobby for a little bit. I want you to write down two family members that do not go to church regularly. And I want you to write down two people from your workplace that do not go to church regularly. If you know two in your hobby, which should be one of the easiest, write those down as well. Two family members that don't go to church regularly. Two people in your workplace. TWBC staff, pick out two people that are at your hobby. (laughs) Or pick out two people from the church that hadn't been here in two months. Who you got? This is your world. See, it's pointless for me to get up and preach without bringing this message into reality to you in some way. And the fact of the matter is there are parents in here who have sons and daughters who you need to get into church at all costs. There are grandparents in here... Who you need to reach, your grandchildren and your nieces and your nephews at all costs. They're too valuable to just say, we're going to pray them into the kingdom. I understand praying. And I believe all this should be immersed in prayer. I believe you should be bringing these people before the Father on a regular basis. But this now becomes your mission. Two people in your family who aren't in church, two people in your workplace who aren't in church. Two people at your hobby that aren't in church. If you don't write any names down, you may as well throw this message out the window because it'll never be a reality. And you wasted an hour and a half of your life. And I don't say that lightheartedly. Because they put a lot of work into the worship and I put a lot of work into this message. But if this doesn't somehow have a reality check in your life in some way, shape, or form, then all this has been worthless. So what I want us to do at the altar call is if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I'm going to say welcome to the greatest day of your life, and I want to pray with you. This is your opportunity to come in and be a part of a kingdom mission where you realize you have your, your mission your, um, what you're called to do, who you're called to be, your world, to accomplish your great commission for your life. Together with me accomplishing my commission, and Hunter accomplishing his commission, and Denny accomplishing her commission, and, and, and Jeremy and Crystal accomplishing their commission, we're accomplishing Jesus' vision of the great commission. It wasn't meant for one person to do alone. It was all meant for all of us to do our part. So with your two family members, with your two workplace people, and if you've thought of your two people in your hobby, at the altar call, this is what I want. Mitch and the team, go ahead and come. I want you to take this, and I want you to go somewhere and pray for these people. You can come to the altar. You can go to the corner. You can can go somewhere in the building. You can go stand by the, 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 the coffee bar station over there. You can stand in front of a reach banner. And I want you to take a step of faith out of your seat. Get out of your seat. See, if you can't take a step out of your seat in here by faith for six people you wrote down, you'll never take the the step of faith out there when you have the opportunity. But from this, from you saying, I'm going to step out of my seat, I'm going to go somewhere, and I'm going to pray for these people. Then, when you see them in public, or you see them at your next family gathering, or you see them somewhere, you're going to remember this. I stepped out then and prayed for them. Now I can step out now, and I'm going to draw from that step of faith to accomplish this step of faith. I'm going to step out, and with that step of faith that I'm reminded of, I'm going to step into this opportunity of faith and watch my prayer happen.